Good morning once again and welcome back to our online service. I'm so glad that you have tuned in and you have been faithfully joining us after all these months. And we are also excited about the news that we are opening uh, next week. And so we are, we are anticipating, the, uh, we are also feeling your excitement that we can gather back together in the house of God. I know um, that although, yes, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God is everywhere in our homes, but there is nothing that compares with corporate worship of coming together and enjoying uh, worshipping God together with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, worshipping God and fellowshipping with the family of God as well. So I hope you're excited about joining us back again in our physical services next Sunday. Now we're going to look at the Word of God this morning and before we, we do that, let me just remind your memory in case you haven't uh, been aware yet, this final quarter of the year, our emphasis is still on connect connect. And for this month specifically, we are focusing on being connected to the cause, being connected to the cause. So before we go in and look into this word, I'm going to ask you for help, okay? Please respond and please participate with me. Can you help me to complete this sentence, okay? The projectionist is going to show the projection. Projectionist, projection. Help me to complete this sentence. Love the sinner, but... Love the sinner, but... Okay, go ahead and take a few seconds and you can respond to it on the comment section. If you have a person next to you, just go ahead and tell them what your answer is. Love the sinner, but... Okay, a quick response. How many of you thought or how many of you said or how many of you even commented? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. How many of you actually said that? All right, okay, you see a few raised hands in this church building. I trust that the, a few of you who responded in the comments as well. And, and this is actually a very catchy phrase. Love the sinner but hate the sin. And it's something that we hear going around a lot, especially in these days. It's a catchy phrase, but where does it come from? It is not word for word verbatim from the Bible, but it, the teachings does come from many parts from the Bible also. So before we go and look to the Word of God, why don't we just pause and let's just look to God and let's ask Him for His blessings today. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank You this morning that we can gather in Your presence. Yes, Lord, we thank You, God, that Your Spirit is everywhere with us. We thank You, Lord, for an awesome and wonderful and meaningful uh, time of worship earlier on that you were, we were able to worship You, Lord, and You were able to minister to our hearts. And this morning, even as we look to Your Word, we pray, God, that You open our ears so that we may hear Your words. But You also open our hearts so that You can transform our lives and open our minds, Lord, so that our thinking may be shaped to obedience to obeying your word also. So we want to commit this entire morning service into your hands. Oh Lord, let your will be done. Let your anointing rest upon me as I bring forth your message and your anointing rest upon everyone who is listening also. Oh Lord, do your work in our lives. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now what is the cause that we are called to connect to? Well, the easiest way is to look at the greatest commandment that Jesus gave. So what is the greatest commandment? Those of you who are wise, those of you who are learned in your Bibles, you will know that the answer is to love the Lord your God with your entire being. Okay? And the second one is equally as important and that is to love people. 
And this is a teaching that Jesus gave us in the book of Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 39. You can go ahead and read that. We are not going to look at it today. But one of the key, key teachings of the cross is that for us, in order for us to love God, we have to love people. The key message from the, cor- from the cross is that God loves his, his people so, so much that He was willing to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we may be redeemed and so that we don't have to face death. And so if this is the key message of the cross, that God loves His people, if we want to love God, we have to love people. Well, let's go back a little, a one step. How do we love God? How do we love God with our entire being? Well, the book of Micah tells us um, quite clearly Micah tells us that it's not about sacrifices. No, it's not about bringing burnt offerings. It's not about grand gestures of bowing before Him. So it's not postures, it's not physical acts, but rather it is to live in obedience to Him in our hearts, in our minds, and in our deeds. To love God is to live in obedience to Him in our hearts, our minds, and our deeds. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 from the NIV says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So to Brother Danny Paul and to Brother Nicholas Aoyong, I trust that you love your mercy. But this does not count. Sorry, that was an inside joke. We are called to act justly in our behaviour, in righteousness, to love mercy and to show it, and also at the same time, to walk humbly before our God. Now there is a similar lesson that we can learn from the example of Jesus as well. That if we learn to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, not only do we love God, but at the same time, we also love people. Near the middle of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, we encounter the story of a woman who is caught in adultery and who is brought before Jesus for judgment. Now, Jesus' actions that day have so, so much to teach us, and I hope that we will grasp it as well teach us so much about the nature of the relationship between loving mercy and acting justly. So the story is found in the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open it and leave it there because we're going to refer to this passage quite a bit uh, through this morning's sermon. So I'm reading from the book of uh, John, chapter 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. John chapter 8, verse 1. Now Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crown soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses says to stone her. 
Ah, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, this is a very, very beautiful teaching. And I pray that as we look through this uh, passage a little more in depth this morning, that God will really speak to each, each and every one of our hearts and that we will learn to love God and to love the people who are around us. So here's what's happening. Jesus was teaching the flocks of people that had gathered in the temple. And it's very apparent that wherever Jesus went, he's a popular teacher. He's popular with the crowds because he shows much grace. He's gentle with them and he's kind. And so the, the people flock towards Jesus because he's so attractive. And so the Pharisees got jealous of Jesus' ministry. He was gaining in popularity, whereas their teachings were not as well recepted. So the Pharisees bring before him a woman who uh, is caught in the act of adultery. Now I want us to pause for a moment and think about what's going on. How is it that in an act of adultery, there is only a single person? Now, from my understanding of what adultery means, there needs to be at least two parties. So the question we want to throw here is this. Where was the man? How come they only brought the woman? It was very possible, of course, I, this is me just stirring. It was very possible that the man was probably one of their kakila. You know, kakilang. How else would they know where to find this woman? And how else would they know how to catch her in the act of adultery? For all we know, the Pharisees had a kakilang and they knew this friend of theirs was going to uh, sin in an act of adultery. Caught them both in the act and decided, okay, shoo, 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 we just want that woman. Now, it, was, it is very clear to me that these Pharisees didn't care about justice. They didn't care. If they did, they would have brought both guilty parties and they would have sought a uh, sentence for both of them. And secondly neither did they care about this woman's life. They said, she must be stoned up, which means in their hearts and their mind, this woman just killed Rila. You know, she's not important to us. For the Pharisees, they merely wanted to use this woman as a tool for their own motives. And their motives was to trap Jesus. Okay, so they say, now, Master, according to the law of Moses, this woman has to be stoned to death. Ah, but what is your opinion? 
Now, we just had our leaders' conference yesterday, and oh, we are so blessed that we have so many of you wonderful leaders standing along with the church, running alongside and leading the church in the direction of the Holy Spirit, wherever it is that God wants us to grow and grow. But how many times has it been, pastors and leaders, you know, when, when uh, our members, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters come to us to seek our thoughts and opinions? And, and it is sometimes some of the scenarios that they face in this world are so difficult that we ourselves are stumped, am I right? Some of the situations in this world are so challenging that we just don't know how to respond. And it seems like in the scenario in Jesus' case, it was like that. Stumped. Because the Mosaic law demands that the woman be stoned to death. But Jesus is a man of grace and mercy. Oh, let's see how Jesus responds. Now, at first, Jesus says nothing. And he just stoops down to the ground. And he starts writing. Now, imagine what the crowd is doing. You know, there's a crowd of people. It's like, what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus? You know, we are blessed today because we have cameras to zoom in. But the people in the crowd don't have that day. It's like, what is Jesus writing on the ground? Jesus was here, smiley face. No, I'm kidding. We have no idea what Jesus wrote because it is not recorded for us. And so as the crowd is like, what is he writing? What's going on? How come he's not responding? What is going to be Jesus' answer? The Pharisees, you know, they get riled up. They get agitated. Jesus, come on. You know, don't avoid this question. We want to have an answer. We want to have an answer. And so, Jesus stands up and he famously says this. All right. But... Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stoops down again and he continues writing. Now many scholars believe that Jesus was actually scribbling on the sand the laws of Moses. He's scribbling, you know, so, but you know, laws of Moses, if you, if you know your Bible, is so many. So some scholars also probably think that Jesus was writing down specific sins that have been committed by the accusers. We don't know for sure. I don't know what for sure because we're not told. But what we do know is the response of the accusers. One by one, the accusers leave. Perhaps, you know, they already had their stones. Ah, Jesus is all right. Pick up. And then Jesus starts scribbling on the ground. Let the one with no sin throw the first stone. Oh. And the accusers walk away. The accusers leave until only the woman and Jesus are in the middle of the crowd. So there's still the crowd of people. The accusers are the ones who have left. And Jesus looks at the woman. Where has everyone gone? Did no one condemn you? And when the woman replies that there was none, Jesus also tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So what is happening here? What is happening here? The religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus into making a choice between acting justly and loving mercy. Now you remember when we looked at the book of Micah earlier on, it is to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. But the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. You choose either one, you neglect the other. 
So the Pharisees thought, Pharisees thought that they were clever. Whichever decision that Jesus chooses, he is being thrown um, one against the other. Righteousness versus kindness. And so the Pharisees had reason that the law commanded that adulterers had to be stoned. And because it was the law of Moses, the law of Moses cannot be unrighteous. The law of Moses cannot command anything that is not just. So if Jesus were to have mercy on the woman instead and, and argued against stoning her, no, 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 don't stone her, then the Pharisees would say, ha, huh, Jesus is unjust. He does not follow uh, the law of Moses. And they would have accused him of that. But on the other hand, if Jesus agrees with the law of Moses, yes, stone the woman, then it would prove to the crowd that was gathered there. See your loving kindness, Jesus, where God love and mercy. He also pronounced the death of the woman. It would show Jesus to be unmerciful. And this would cause the crowd to, to lose their faith and cause Jesus to lose his influence upon them. Because it was precisely because of the grace of Jesus that drew the crowds to him. Now, many times we are stuck in such difficult circumstances, circumstances and situations. How many of us, you know, in our working places, we are thrown in a grey area. We are thrown between um, a decision of acting justly and loving mercy. What do we do? An example that I can think of is uh, a case of embezzlement in a company. And you are thrown between choosing two, two evils. Imagine that you are, a, um, you are the secretary or you are a committee member of a charitable organization. And then you discover that the president and the head, who is very popular and very good in getting in the charitable funds to help uh, um, underprivileged kids, you discover that this CEO, this president, has been embezzling funds. Somehow he has been sneakily taking off a small percentage for his own personal gain. Now you, stuck in this position, you know that you need to act justly. And if you're called to act justly, then you must expose the leader. But how is the, where is the mercy in that? When you accuse him and expose him, this charitable organisation that you have been running so well that helps the underprivileged kids will lose their uh, influence. It will lose the financial support of the general public. You are stuck. What do you do? And so this is a situation that is very similar to what Jesus faces. And of course, Jesus is brilliant. Say it with me. Jesus is brilliant. Brilliant. And his response keeps both the demands of justice and mercy. His response keeps both without putting one against the other. Let me show you how. Jesus did not speak against the law by saying, no, she should not be stoned. Nor did he say, yes, she should be stoned. Instead, he put the responsibility of the judgment back on the woman's accusers, saying, 
alright. Ah, you can imagine the Pharisees when Jesus said, alright, uh, all they have trapped him. He has agreed to a penalty. He does not deny the law. He has acted... Uh, 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 he does not deny the law and he acts justly. But, oh, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Oops. Now with this statement, Jesus forces the women's accusers to look inward at their own guilt. Their own guilt in violating the very same law of Moses. In other words, Jesus was telling them, you either let this woman go or together receive the penalty of the law of Moses. Either let this woman go or together get her lah. All you sinners, receive the penalty of the law of Moses. Wow. Such a brilliant response. Now these people, they were so good at pointing out the woman's sins. But they chose to keep a blind eye when it comes to their own sins. And very sadly, so many churches today, so many Christians today, are labelled the same kind of attitude. One of the biggest criticisms of the church that we suffer today is the church's hypocrisy. But we know that this is not the teaching of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, and this is the NLT, it says this. Jesus says, it is, it is in red, it is the words of Jesus, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. So you see, the, you see what's happening here? The accusers wanted the woman to be stoned. Okay, you judge her, likewise you will be judged. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And number five, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So in this passages, Jesus argues that justice does require the sinner to be punished. Jesus does not deny that sin, uh, the sin needs to be punished. He does not deny that the sinner needs to be punished as well. But the punishment the judgment must not be by other sinners. Let me say it again. Jesus argues that justice requires the sinner to be punished, but not by other sinners. Now, this ultimately causes all the accusers to depart, leaving only the woman and Jesus. Jesus, the one and only man in the Bible that we are told who is without sin the one and only who could have called the judgment and the one and only one who could have cast that first stone. However, the woman receives mercy instead with the admonition, with the warning, and not to sin anymore. 
Now, let me clarify. The Lord certainly did condemn the sin. He certainly did condemn the sin, but not the person. And so this is where we get the hint of where there is love the sinner, but hate the sin. Because the Lord is merciful and long-suffering, He allows us space for correction. He gives us the opportunity to repent of our sins and He offers us pardon when we choose to repent. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the NIV says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, when I was, uh, when I was still a youth and I was reading this verse, I always saw it from one perspective. That, you know, Lord, I want come back, Lord, Lord when are you coming back? Lord, when are you coming back? Um, I want to receive your promises. But this passage puts us in the other perspective that tells us, you know, the reason why God delays His coming back is because He wants to give you and I, we are all sinners. He wants to give us time to repent from our sins, turn back to Him and receive pardon. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. However, what it also means is that because the Lord is true and He will also act justly, our failure to repent will eventually lead to our just punishment. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare for judgment. So, love mercy, but also act justly. Now, in, uh, play along with me and let us put ourselves back into the passage, the drama that is going on. Put yourself in the woman's situation, okay? I wouldn't say put yourself in a woman's shoes, but back then they probably didn't wear any shoes. So put yourself in the woman's situation. <gasps> You've been caught in an act that is unlawful. Caught in the act. Don't pretend, huh? we are all sinners, we know what it means. We've been caught in the act that is unlawful and the penalty of that act is painful death by stoning. Now, in the recent uh, weeks, we've heard um, the troubling news of a mentally disabled person who's been caught drug trafficking in Singapore and the death sentence for him was, was death. And I know that has stirred a lot of emotions uh, in Malaysians as well as Singaporeans. But the truth is this, if you are caught breaking the law, you must face the penalty. Okay? So that is the context. Put yourself in the woman's shoes. You've been caught and now you've been dragged and thrown mercilessly in front of a crowd, a riled up crowd. And the crowd is merciless. They are demanding for your judgment. You are surrounded. There is no escape and you are trembling, trembling, trembling in fear. You are so stressed up and you're so worried, you have no idea or it probably doesn't even concern you what the people are talking, what is the concern. You are just afraid for your own life. But then, 
suddenly, things go quiet. Suddenly, your accusers who caught you, your accusers who dragged you and threw you there, disappeared. And the one who has the right to judge you is standing before you there. Instead of judging you, sentencing you to death, He offers you mercy instead. You become overwhelmed with emotion. Now, according to St. Augustine, who is an early Christian theologian, he says that because of this scenario, because of Jesus uh, withholding His punishment and showing mercy, we as believers, we are put in a situation of a double danger. We face a double danger. The first danger, according to St. Augustine, is this. As a result of Jesus withholding His punishment and extending mercy, we are in the danger of deception. We are in the danger of deceiving ourselves. We start thinking that, oh, mercy. Now we can do anything that we please. Now we can let loose on our desires, indulge in whatever we want. Because we believe that God, who is good and kind and merciful, will simply overlook our sin. In other words, we think to ourselves, we have no need to repent, no need to worry, because God will save us regardless. Deception. Danger number one. Now, the second danger is on the flip side. And the second danger is that we could fall into total despair. Fall into total despair. I don't know how many of you are like this, but when we, we feel that we are overcome with guilt because we didn't get the deserved punishment. Some people are wired that way. They know that they have been wrong, they know that they have done wrong, and they know that I deserve it, I deserve the punishment, bring it, lah, bring it. And I, I'm not trying to make a mockery out of these people, but that is how you are designed. And you are on the danger of total despair. Because you didn't get your punishment. You did not receive your deserved punishment for your act against the law. You start to think that, oh, my sins are greater than God because I've not been punished. My sins are still greater. My, st my sins have not been redeemed. And that I am beyond forgiveness. No one can save me even though we repent of them. My brothers and sisters, this is not humility. This is a total lack of trust and faith in God. And this is living a life of hopelessness. There's no hope. There's no future. I am doomed. In other words, what for repent? No need to repent lah, since we are doomed anyway. Now these are two dangers because either which way, it prevents us from repentance. It prevents us from turning away from our sins. And that is exactly what the devil wants you to fall. He wants you to turn away from God and not come to repentance. So what do we do? What is the solution to these two dangers? Now for the first one, for the first danger, for those who are being deceived, the antidote the solution is to have 
a healthy dose, healthy dose of the fear of God's justice. What is a healthy dose of fear? Well, a healthy dose of fear is the fear of God that brings us to repentance and brings us to restoration. The unhealthy dose of fear is the kind that throws us into total despair. The second warning. So we need a healthy dose of the fear of God's judgment. And we need to be reminded God is not indifferent about sin. He's not overlooking your sin and forgiving you freely. But rather, He is delaying justice so that mercy may be extended to those who are in the area or who are being uh, danger of self-deception. Jesus tells us this. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And for those who are in the second danger, the danger of falling into total despair, the antidote is faith. You need to have faith. You need to trust in God's mercy. You know, we are told that we don't need great faith. We just need a little faith in a great God. You don't need great faith. You just need a little faith in our great God. And He is mighty, mighty merciful. Jesus asked the woman, He turned to the woman and asked her, Where are your accusers? And the answer is, they are gone. My brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you, my friends, who not yet believe in Jesus, Jesus asks us, where are your accusers? They are gone. The book of Revelation chapter 12, 11 tells us that Satan is accusing us day and night Day and night before the throne of God, He is calling down condemnation. He's showing doubt and fear into your hearts and your minds. He's putting you down so that you will not turn to God. But the book of Revelations tells us, but by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, the devil has been thrown down and defeated. And so Jesus asks us once again to look at His act of mercy. Didn't even one of them accuse you? No, Lord. No one. Because of Jesus' love, because of His act of mercy, because of His sacrifice on the cross, no accusation stands against you today. Nothing that the devil throws against you stands in the court of God's justice. My brothers and sisters in Christ, hear what the Word of God is saying. No one can stand. No more accusers can stand before you. All accusations fall because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So to those of us who fall in the danger of total despair, there's no hope for you. Jesus consoles us. Neither do I condemn you. The only one who has the right to judge, the only one 
who has the right to throw and condemn? Neither do I condemn you. And in the face, in the presence of tremendous mercy, we fall to repentance. What a wonderful God. What a loving God we serve. He who acts justly, He does not deny the penalty of sin, but He shows mercy by extending grace, by delaying that penalty that will come if we do not repent. So, to love God, we are to act justly. We are to love mercy. And last but not least, we need to walk humbly. When we learn to be obedient to this command, we also love people and we're able to win them over and help them turn away from their sins. We win them not by our own graces, not by our own speech, not by our own cleverness, but we win them over because we are merely sharing the love, the grace, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have justice. We need to have the Word of God because without the Word of God, we would not fear. Without the fear, we will not turn to God. So we need to have justice and we also need to have mercy. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Act justly. Let me ask us this question. How many of us can honestly answer that I am not ashamed of the gospel? How many of us can honestly answer that I am not ashamed of the gospel today? Why? Because our culture today makes it embarrassing to hold the truth of the Bible. Huh? What am I saying? Because if you read the book of Romans chapter 1, it talks about adulterers, it talks about drunkards, it talks about homosexuals, it talks like a whole lot of things. And then Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because when we preach the word of truth, it is the power of God that brings salvation. So our culture makes us embarrassed. Yo, old-fashioned lah. Yo, so bigoted, these uh, this Christians. So unaccepting when you, so unloving, so unkind, so rigid, so unflexible, so discriminating. How can you stand against human rights? Familiar? How many of us today, honestly lah, can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the truth. And this calls us really, you know, even as I'm reading this, you know, I have to admit before God, yes, Lord, I confess. At times, I feel that, ayo, the truth of the Bible, kind of embarrassing lah, to share. Embarrassed by God's word? Embarrassed by God? No. We need to act justly. We need to stand firm by the Word of God. But, love mercy. We need to love mercy. And that means that our tone of correction, our tone of righteousness, must be filled with loving kindness and mercy. 
act justly, love mercy. And, you know, there's a, there's a Hebrew word for loving kindness, which is chesed. And those of you who attended the uh, Samuel SCG, you will know that chesed is a very difficult Hebrew word to translate to English. It is talking about love, but it's more than that. It is a love that extends to deeds of kindness. So the way the Bible translates chesed is loving kindness. It is not just showing you love, but showing you kindness. And allow me to speak, lah, huh? the, to allow me to put on the hat of a mediator to those who are of the faith for a very long time, those of you who are seniors of the Christian faith, all of you who are uncles and aunties, you know, uh, my age is not that far, so I call you my kokos and cheches in the faith. You know, I respect you for your faith. You are the generation that came out from so much persecution that you faced from your family. You are the generation that preached the gospel boldly, proclaiming the word of truth without fear. You are the generation that has raised and influenced uh, our current generation. But I appeal to you, I appeal to you, that method of Preaching the gospel down your throat does not appeal to the generations today. This is a generation of sensitivities. This is a generation of level-mindedness. You don't be so one-sided, can or not. This is a generation who is informed and very capable. If they don't know the answer, they know how to go to Google. This is a generation who hears many perspectives. And this is a generation that does not take hard push of the gospel. So I want to honour all the cocos and churches of the faith. You have lived a good life. You have fought the good fight, not, but your journey is not yet over. My appeal to you is when communicating with the next generation, show mercy. Don't be so hard. I know you intend well, and I know that it has worked well for your generation, but it does not appeal to the new generation. It puts them off. I know you are acting justly, but I appeal to you, please, love, mercy. It is by our actions, it is by our uh, acts of love and mercy and kindness that the next generation are drawn to the church. So let our tone of correction and righteousness be filled with chesed, loving kindness, not just speech, but our deeds. And you know the result of mercy? The result of mercy invites sinners to repentance and salvation. No need to preach down their throats with the finger. An open hand is much better than a pointed finger. An open hand of invitation is much better than a pointed finger. And of course, last but not least, walk humbly. Now, Jesus was never arrogant. He was righteous, yes, but He was never self-righteous. He was never, in your face, I'm holy. No. He always lived humbly and He always lived according to the will of God. He was humble and gentle and that's why people loved Him and were drawn to Him. So now that I've spoken to the Kokos and Jejes, can I speak also, please, to the titis and memes. The older generation don't hate you. The older generation have lived their long life 
and they may, they, they may seem like they have it all together today. You know, they have established their lives, their careers, they're financially stable. They may seem like they have it all together, but we don't understand the struggles and the pains that they have to make. And so when they are so in-your-face aggressive, it's because they are only concerned for each and every one of us. They don't mean to insult us. They're just over-concerned. <laughs> so let us learn to accept them. Perhaps, you know, let's be honest. Because of our culture today and because of our influence of the world, we have failed to act justly. I will be the first to confess that there have been many occasions when I have failed to act justly. And perhaps because the older generation sees this, they are concerned for us. Let us learn to walk humbly. Let us learn to accept one another, the differences that we are and the differences that our culture has shaped us. When we behave like Jesus, in a manner of graciousness, gentleness, when we walk humbly, not thinking that one generation is better than the other generation, when we learn to walk humbly, then the people will be drawn to Jesus Christ. Hear this. Unchurched people are looking for Christ. Unchurched people are looking for Christ. So let's pray that they will find Him in our churches. Can I invite the worship team to come back on stage and to play quietly, gently at the background? So we are called to hate the sin but love the sinner. We are called to act justly, to stand firm by the Word of God. Don't waver but to extend mercy. Jesus teaches us not to judge because the judging is not up to us. It is not our job to judge other people. It is our job to share the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and to leave the loving, the saving and the judging to the Lord our God. Our God is a great God. He is just. He is merciful. And He is humble.